We are in the series of trending, and um, we've been talking about the greatest innovators of all time. How many have been enjoying the trending series? Um, I just want to take this time right now to honor our lead pastors, Pastor Adam and Kira. If you love Pastor Adam and Kira, can you just help me give them a hand clap? There we go. They've been literally dropping spiritual bombs on this platform. It's been incredible, um, just the, the revelation that we've been getting in this series. Last week, uh, Pastor Adam preached on Paul, and um, he preached about how it's not only about what we are saved from, but what we are saved for, right? How many people were blessed by that? See, um, and today, uh, we're closing out the series, and uh, we're closing it with the greatest innovator of all time. No, it's not Steve Jobs. It is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. How many people love Jesus Christ? See, I could give uh, a ton of reasons on why Jesus Christ uh, is the greatest innovator of all time. See, Jesus, he could turn water into wine. I think that's pretty good. I mean, who would invest in Jesus's winery? I would. I would definitely invest in Jesus's winery, just put Napa out of business. I could just see Jesus, if he lived in this day and age, just going to Sand Hill Road where all of the venture capitalist firms are, and you got all these startups trying to raise money for their online business, and they have all this fancy decks and financial models pitching to these investors, these venture capitalists, and then Jesus just comes on the scene. No slideshow presentation, just, you know, two loaves of bread and some fish. <laughs> and he says, hey, hey, I got an idea. I know how to feed 5,000 people with just these two loaves of bread and fish. I think they would be writing checks, like, on the spot. Just start a, a grocery chain or something. See, um, last week we, we, we uh, talked about Paul and, and Pastor Adam put some one-liners in, in the context of a tweet. And that got me to thinking, you know, um, what if Jesus had an Instagram or a Facebook, right? And, and I, I couldn't recreate it. There wasn't any pictures to, to record Jesus' life. Um, but I was thinking about it. You can just kind of imagine it, right? Like, if he had an Instagram or Facebook, it would definitely be better than yours. Um, just, so he, he, would, he would take selfies just walking on water, you know? Just, like, caption, water skiing without a boat, you know? Uh, it would be, it would be amazing, and we'd have the disciples on Instagram video, um, you know, Jesus is just resurrected from the dead. Hashtag, you only live twice. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, he just, you know, is going to leave them now. He's telling them, I'm going to leave you. And they're like, what? And then um, he just starts ascending to heaven. Like, how, how awkward could that be? You know, like you, leave, you uh, let go of a balloon and it has helium and it's floating up. And, but that's Jesus? And you're like... Like, that's just good. That's got to be awkward. But, um, you know, regardless, uh, it's, I don't think it's any doubt that Jesus did some miraculous things. But I don't think that Jesus was the greatest innovator of all time because of his miraculous things. See, 
An innovator is someone who introduces a new reality, which is better than before. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest innovator of all time because he introduced grace, a new reality that was better than before. Can we get our theme verse up for the series? It's Romans 5.15. I um, hope, church, that you've been able to kind of internalize this in your heart um, and in your minds and in your soul. We're going to read it right here. It says, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Amen. See, why I love this verse is because it shows Jesus is not just an innovator, Jesus is the innovation. See, Jesus introduced grace. Jesus is grace. Jesus equals grace. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a good idea. Jesus demonstrated grace on the cross. Amen? See, this is what Christianity was birthed from. It wasn't birthed from a philosophy or an idea. It was birthed from a historical event based on a true story. And that's where we get our movement of Christianity, and it's a scandalous story, really, um, that somebody paid the price for us, for our salvation, though, so that we could be saved and have access to God, and gave it to us for free. How many people like free? See, this goes against all our human condition. This goes against any other religion and in our current culture where we believe that we need a way for approval. But grace says that you are already approved. Amen. Can everybody turn with me? We're going to study today in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And um, while you turn there, uh, see, last week we, we uh, learned how God chose you. Not so much that you chose him, but more about how he chose you, right? But what does this mean? Like, what, what are we saying here? Are we saying that, you know, it's all good? I can... Uh, I can just chill and, and relax. Um, yes, but no. Uh, <laughs> let me use an example really quick. So take Google, for example, right? Google does this really cool thing where they spoil their employees. Um, and uh, they have all these amenities, uh, free food, um, uh, car washes, haircuts, swimming pools. How many people think that's awesome? That's really cool. See, you don't have to be of a certain status at Google. You don't have to be um, of a certain level or position. You don't have to be a director. You don't even have to be there for a certain period of time to access all these amenities. You just have access to them. See, I was fortunate enough to start my career at Google, and the first day I got there, I hadn't done anything for the company, not one ounce of work, but I had access to the amenities. And see, You might think that, oh, man, that must mean that nobody ever works at Google. But that's actually to the contrary, right? See, um, surprisingly, because of all of these gifts and amenities and because they valued us and they lavished upon us, it created in me a sense of responsibility and work ethic, right? I had stock in the company, so I approached my work with a level of ownership, right? What if we approached our relationship with God, with that mentality of how we serve God, how effective could we be, right, church? 
If we invited responsibility and we went into the house and acted like we owned the place and we had a stake in the place and we had ownership in the place. See, I actually propose to you today that our view of God should be just a little bit more like Googler's view. Google, right? He wants to lavish upon us. He wants to celebrate us. And God is meant to be enjoyed. Amen? Amen. So are you with me in Luke chapter 15, verse 11? Cool. So this is the parable of the lost son. And uh, if you've grown up in church, you probably are pretty familiar with this story. It reads like this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Somebody said, rock bottom. See, verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even when the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said, Son, Or he said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We're going to have steak tonight. We must celebrate with a feast for this Son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So let the party begin. Can somebody say amen? Let the party begin. Will you pray with me right now, church, before we get into the word? Thank you, Jesus, for this day, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that is an embracing grace, God. We just pray today that you would just speak to us and you would just speak through me the words that you want to be spoken and you would communicate what you want to be communicated. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, God. We just pray that we didn't, wouldn't just realize this is a great service, but we serve a great God. And, and I pray that you can do all things. And I just pray that Dwight Howard would come to the Golden State Warriors. In Jesus' name I pray. Somebody said. Come on. <laughs> if you don't know Dwight Howard, he's going to be the savior of the Golden State Warriors. So, <laughs> um, so you know, I, uh, growing up, wasn't um, good at everything, I know, don't be so shocked, <laughs> um, but I wasn't. See, I, I grew up and I, I played sports, um, my main sport was basketball, I was decent at it, so I would play uh, basketball pretty much year-round, but there was a gap where uh, there wasn't any basketball offered through the school or club or anything like that, and it was springtime. And so I got a bright idea. I was like, hey, let me do another sport um, so that I can stay in shape for basketball. And so I was looking around. Um, you know, there was baseball on the list, but I know that sport's from hell, so I didn't do that. <laughs> oh, a lot of people like baseball, sorry. Um, 
And, uh, and so I saw track and field, and I was like, oh, okay, track and field. How many people know track and field? Basically, it's people that want to sign up to run. <laughs> um, it's not awesome, especially if you're slow um, like I am. And um, you might be thinking, man, you are Asian. You must be quick like Jackie Chan. No, that is not true. And I found that out pretty quickly uh, when I joined the track and field team. And I found out quickly that I wasn't a sprinter, for one. Um, I couldn't hang out with those guys. So I discovered, okay, I have a little bit of endurance, so let me do one of the longest um, events, which was the 800. If you're familiar with the 800, that's two laps around the track, right? Not, not too bad, um, easy. So it was my first time being on a track and field team, so I was training with the team, and, and I was uh, practicing with them. And um, I remember it so clearly, going to our first track and field meet with my dad, and, and um, you know, he dropped me off, and he was in the stands, and, and then um, uh, I'm prepping up, and, and I'm kind of nervous, um, but also excited, like, I want to do my best, my dad is here, you know, I want to impress him, and things like that, so, uh, you know, the, the facilitator raises his hands and says, go, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty confident, I shouldn't have been, but I start out the gate really, really fast. Right, and if anybody knows anything about track and field, rookie mistake, right? Um, but it felt good. I was uh, in the lead. I had a gap behind me. I was just um, doing really well, and I had energy reserves, um, so I was feeling good about it. But then something happened when I finished the first lap. I think it's called fatigue because <laughs> I was really, really tired. Like my legs were feeling heavy. I couldn't feel my legs actually, um, and and I just get it started getting really tired. I couldn't breathe thought I was going to die, and I started seeing person after person just pass me, and I started seeing my lead dwindling, and my hopes and dreams being crushed, um, and people started getting farther and farther away, and by the time I got to the last hundred yards, uh, nobody else was on the track. I still, I still needed to finish. I know, sad. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, so um, I finally finished the race, and I'm pretty disappointed in myself, I don't like to lose, um, and had lost pretty miserably. Um, and I was in the car with my dad, and I was just kind of wondering. I was wanting some sort of approval. It was pretty quiet in the car, and I was like, Dad, you know, what do you think? And uh, he was like, son, let me, let me tell you something. Um, you know, when you were, uh, you know, finishing your last 100 yards, there was actually a guy in the stands who was like, ha, look at that Asian boy. He's so slow. And when he told me that, that, oh, that hurt. That hurt so bad. Um, but then he said, uh, but son, I, I said, hey, that's my son you're talking about. Don't talk about him like that. And I went from this feeling of sorrow to this feeling of pride and, and being advocated for. And a feeling of love, uh, of pursuing love, right? And this is the context of the prodigal son. See, chapter 15 starts with setting the scene. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were complaining that Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners, and these Pharisees hold themselves up because they've been upholding the law, and they look down on these people, these sinners, and they say, Jesus, we uphold the law. Why do you hang out with them? They're not better than us. And Jesus says, hey, you're talking about my son. Don't talk about him like that. And he says that through this story of the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son is an illustration of the tax collectors. 
and the sinners. It's really an illustration about humanity. It's an illustration about us. And Jesus goes on to describe the journey of humanity. See, my first point, if you're taking notes, is action required. Action required. Anybody have an email where it says action required? And then don't read it? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said that's true. Um, Somebody turn to your neighbor, say, action required. Turn to your second choice, say, action required. (laughs) So there's this younger son, right? And he asked for his inheritance from his father. And in that culture, to ask so early was basically spitting in his father's face. But his father is gracious and gives him free will, gives him free choice to do what he wants. And so... The younger son, he takes his money and he goes to the New York Stock Exchange and he starts day trading and he starts gambling a little bit. And all of a sudden, the economy crashes and he loses everything. His hopes and his dreams, they're crushed. His future is crushed. He loses it all and he hits rock bottom. That's where we pick up in verse 16, where it says, The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. 17 says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. See, this stage of the passage is showing that the prodigal son is reflecting on his life. Everything's pretty messed up. Everything is not where he expected it to be. And um, he starts having this would-be-nice mentality. And uh, he starts saying, oh, man, would be nice to be a servant in my father's house. They have it good, would be nice. And I think some of us have that mentality sometimes. Would be nice, right? Would be nice. I, I think that, um, so uh, to illustrate it even further, my, my cousin, he's, he's pretty funny. Um, and uh, I would go to their house when I was growing up, and, and his auntie, they would spoil us with food and chips. I had a bowl of chips once. Um, and, uh, my cousin just sat next to me, um, with, when I was just eating chips and he just, you know, when people do those deep sighs, like, (sighs) you know what I'm talking about? Anybody in a relationship? (laughs) I know you don't do that, babe. Sorry. Um, but he does a deep sigh and I'm like, Hey man, what's up? And he's just like, would be nice if I could have some chips. And I'm like, then get some chips, man. You have not because you asked not. Right. Come on. And we, we have this would-be-nice mentality sometimes, and we attach a but to it. See? We say would-be-nice but. Would-be-nice to have a six-pack, but I don't really like doing crunches. <laughs> would-be-nice to have a better relationship, but I'm too busy. And she just doesn't understand. Would-be-nice to be a leader, but I don't really like people. <laughs> see? See? Sometimes, don't we have big butts, right? We have big butts. Come on, let's admit it. Myself included, I sometimes have a big butt. But, see, the the prodigal son, he was reflecting, and he was noticing and realizing that my life is messed up, and I, I believe that's not where the issue lies in our society today. I think that people are pretty good at self-reflection, especially with social media, comparing ourselves to one another and understanding that, oh, maybe my life is not 
where it really wants to be. I don't think the problem is in self-reflection. I think the issue is with action, doing something about it, right? And I know it's easier said than done, so what can we learn from the prodigal son that can help us in our life? See, it says in verse 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. We learn here that before the son could take himself out of his situation, he had to humble himself first. See, what got him into this mess the first place? It was pride. He said to his father, give me my inheritance, dad. I got this. And I think this, I got this culture is an epidemic in our society. Because when we grow up um, in this society, we learn that we are independent and we are individuals. And we can go from rags to riches, the American dream, right? But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, I got this. It says, we got this, right? And even better, the Bible says, we got this and he's got this. Amen? Why is this important? Why is it important for us to understand that he's got this and that we need to relinquish control? Well, if it was just about me, I would definitely hit a ceiling. I would go through life and achieve and prosper and aspire and have some success, but I would hit a ceiling because I don't have unlimited strength. I don't have unlimited wisdom. I don't have unlimited talent, right? But this is what the Bible says about God. Ephesians 3.16 through 19. It says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources... He will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And many uh, power to understand, as all God's people should know, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you would be filled with the fullness and life power that comes from God. See, God has unlimited resources. He has power that he wants to impart into you so that you can live life to the full. Somebody said amen. amen. My second point here is to just get into the vicinity. Get in the vicinity. See, verse 20, it says here, the prodigal son. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. How beautiful is this? See, I believe the son was a little bit hesitant going back home. He had just lost all of his father's money, and he's probably running through different scenarios like, oh, man, my dad's going to be so mad. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if he's going to spank me. I don't know. I am nervous to go to my father's house, but he just puts one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other until he finds himself on the estate, his father's estate. And what happened when he just got into the vicinity of his father's house? His father ran to him. His father met him and loved on him and embraced him. Amen? See, when you move, he moves. Just getting into the vicinity of his presence it is all it takes. See, you might be here today and 
um, have some relationship issues, whether it's with your um, significant other or your spouse or your father or a sibling, and you have no idea what to do, you've gone through counseling, Dr. Phil, um, all these different things, and, and I feel that God is just wanting to say to you today, just get into the vicinity, and he's ready to meet you. See, the Bible said he is the great counselor. See, I think some of us today, they, we might be in a situation where we feel lonely, right? And, and no matter what we're doing in work, no matter how high we get in work, and, and no matter um, the people we surround ourselves with, we still go to bed at night feeling lonely. And I feel that God is telling us today, just get in the vicinity of his presence, and he wants to meet you there. Amen? Fight to be in the vicinity of his presence. Fight to be in church from week to week. Fight to be in community group. Fight to be in the vicinity of his presence. See, before he even told the parable of the lost son, of the prodigal son, he told this beautiful parable about the lost coin. It says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. See, we learned last week that God chooses us. And I'm here to bring it even further today and say, God, hasn't, God doesn't only choose us, he pursues us. Amen? See, has anybody lost their keys before? And you can't find your keys. You have somewhere to go, and, um, and, and you can't find it. And you're searching high and low. You're going under mattresses. You're throwing mattresses around and pillow cushions. And you're blaming your wife for misplacing it. Uh, and it's really your fault. And you can't find the keys. But you keep searching. You keep searching diligently until you can find it. And when you find it, you have just so much jubilation. You're just so happy because now you can go where you're needing to go and you found it. It's not lost. See, I believe that some of us ask sometimes, you know, why does God pursue me? Why does God diligently seek after me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know how many times I make mistakes. Why does God pursue me and seek me? I believe God is trying to say today that he has somewhere to go. He has a very important agenda to save the world, and he's seeking you because you're one of his keys. You're one of his keys to unlock the plan that he has to save the world. He has a plan and purpose for your life, man of God. He has a plan and purpose for your life, woman of God, and he wants to reveal that to you. That's why he's seeking after you. He's pursuing you. Point number three, and I'm going to close with this. Haters gonna hate. How many, how many people love that point? Haters gonna hate. See, this story, this parable, it's not just about the prodigal son. It's about two sons. It's about one younger son who is the prodigal son who went away from the household, but it's also about an older son. And we pick it up in verse 25. It says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother is back and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. 
the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, for you never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. You give him the steak, and you won't even buy me McDonald's? Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. See, some of us sometimes might read this and say, what a jerk. What a jerk that older brother is. But I can actually maybe sympathize. Anybody have older, anybody an older sibling? Anybody the older brother or the older sister? I have a younger brother. He's three years younger than me. Um, awesome man of God, Brandon. Um, and I grew up as an older sibling, and, and while I loved it, um, there was a lot of awesome things about having a brother and, having an old, and being an older sibling. Um, it was frustrating at times. It was frustrating at times. And I think maybe some of you can relate. Um, when you would go from being in junior high uh, to high school and your parents are giving you a new privilege, you get to stay up until 10 p.m. now instead of 9 p.m. And then you, I know, crazy, right? And and you're just, you're happy. You're happy about the privilege. But then it kind of gets diluted when your younger brother, who's three years younger, also gets to stay up until 10 p.m. How is that fair? What? When I was that age, I didn't get to stay up until 10 p.m.? Are you serious? I've been responsible. I've been here. I've been doing all the chores. He doesn't even do his chores. And I'm just exaggerating, just making up excuses because I, I'm so concerned with justice. And fairness, that's not fair. How can he have the same privilege that I do? I've been here for three more years in this world than he has. Are you serious? <laughs> see, see, <laughs> I'm venting, I'm venting, I'm venting, I'm venting. Mom and dad, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is, this is the, the context here, right? The older brother is so concerned about justice that he's not enjoying the party. Right? And what's funny is that we want justice when it benefits us, but we want grace when it doesn't. <laughs> but even with this attitude, and by the time if I was talking to my dad like this, he would probably whoop me, um, make me choose my own belt so he could whoop me. <laughs> See, this father is gracious, and he says, look, dear son, he's talking to the older son, you have always stayed by me. I've always been here with you. And everything, everything I have is yours. You've always had access. You've always had access. And we can be frustrated sometimes with Jesus. And quite admittingly, he's frustrating sometimes with these parables. Jesus can be frustrating. And, and I think it's on purpose to show us something. He doesn't think like us, right? Jesus, he doesn't think like us. We have our ranking systems. I'm older, so I deserve this privilege. I 
am more responsible. I follow the law. I follow all these rules. Therefore, I deserve this. I deserve a higher rank. I get to stay up. They don't. Right? Jesus, he recognizes this ranking system, but he doesn't adhere to it. This is what Jesus says. He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. See, I came in last place at my track meet, but my dad acted like I came in first place because he loved me so much. See, and there will be haters in the stands. The enemy is trying to oppose you and he'll criticize you. You're Asian and you're slow. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve this party. You don't deserve this celebration. And that's when you can respond, you're right. I don't deserve it. That's why I need Jesus. That's why I need grace. That's why I need a God that surpasses all understanding, that gives me peace, even when I haven't been doing everything right, that wants to meet me and pursue me. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with this. If every, everybody can just bow their heads and, and close their eyes with me. See, my heart today is that you'd be able to embrace this grace. I hope your faith could be expanded because people are going to try to squash your faith. See, the enemy will feed you lies, but I'm here to tell you that God wants to meet you and embrace you and love on you. But faith comes by hearing. He's looking for people that will listen to him. And there's a lot of things that can stop us from hearing. It's like being on your cell phone with bad reception. See, God is calling you and you answer. That's why you're here in this service today. It's no accident. You want to answer the call of God. You want to know the call of God for your life. But you can't hear him clearly. You might be in a noisy setting with voices of negativity in an environment of fear or worry, maybe pride is causing too much static for you to hear from God. But I believe God is saying today, just move. Get into the vicinity. See, God moves and you're moving. Just get into the vicinity of his presence and he wants to meet you. Wherever you're at, whatever your need is, this is the greatest innovation of all time. It's a new way. It's a new life. It's a new freedom. There's no app for this. See, to embrace grace, there is also action required, though. You need to respond. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him tell you that you don't need this. If you want to take the first step in experiencing this love and this grace, then I want to invite you right now to respond. If you want to know Jesus for the first time today, if you want to embrace this grace and understand and experience this grace in which we talked about today, I want you to do something very bold and just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. If you want to embrace grace, thank you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Come on, don't let the enemy talk to you right now and withhold you the promises that he wants for you. If you want to meet Jesus for the first time, I just want to invite you right now to just lift up your hands high so I can see it. 
You want to experience this grace. Thank you for that hand. Thank you, Jesus. And if, if you're like the prodigal son and, 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 and you um, have been away for a little bit um, from walking with God and you've been doing your own thing, but you want to come back today, I also want to make an invitation. If that's you, please raise up your hand right now. Eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Just raise up your hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that hand. You want to make a recommitment to God right now. Just raise your hand high. Don't let this opportunity slip by. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you just want a refreshing right now, if, if you feel that life has been kind of stagnant and, and you're seeking breakthrough and and you feel that there's been too much static noise and it might be something internally or it might be your environment, but you just want to hear clearly from God your calling and, and what he's purposed you for and, and what your key is in his plan. I want you to raise your hand right now, right now, and receive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you, Jesus. And with everybody's eyes closed and, and heads bowed, I just want to ask for people to, to respond boldly today. See, this is the day that the Lord has made it. I'm going to ask something really bold. If you responded to any of those three altar requests, I want you to make your way down here. In a second, I'm going to have everybody stand up and applaud, and it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a party. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. On the count of three, I'm going to have everybody stand up. And if that was you, please come down on one, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, come down. Come down if you, if you raise your hand. Come down. Come down. He wants to meet you today. Come down. Thank you.